Hey, it's good to see all of you here today. Everybody's looking good. Um, a couple things I want to mention before I get in the message today. One is uh, I, I've, I'm doing an a email that I send out every week called Weekly Wisdom, and I'd really like for you to read it, and I'd like for you to respond. I'm, I'm so far... I've responded to every single person who's given me a response. I te- I, I'll text, I'll email you back. And if you have a question, or uh, you, as you know, uh, even though you, uh, you come to church every week, compared to how much time you spend receiving from all of the sources, you spend very little time really uh, uh, with us. And, and, and so I, I want to find some other ways that I can do some teaching that I feel God has put in my heart and things that I feel are... Uh, will 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 help you in your walk. Will help you uh, help you interpret culture. I think that's a really important task for the church right now. It always has been an important task for the church is a, is to interpret culture. I don't think it's always our job to to uh, fight the culture war, but we do need to help God's people interpret the culture through through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of God's wisdom. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to do every week and. And, uh, you know, some weeks I'm sure it's really good, and some weeks I'm sure it's mediocre, but if you don't read it every week, you'll never know when it's really good. So, <laughs> so I'd, I'd love you, the way, the way you get on the list is simply if you will take the connection card and put your email address on there, and your name, you'll, uh, you will automatically be on the list to receive it. So I, I hope you will read it, and I know several of you are. I've gotten a, I've gotten a lot of gr- good feedback and uh, several people say it's really helpful. So uh, the second thing is, uh, as I'm starting a mini-series this morning, three sermons. I'm going to do one this week, one next week, and then one the last week of August. Uh, in the middle there, John Wiersma is going to be preaching on the August 8th, and Christy Morais on August 15th. So uh, I'm going to take a couple of Sundays off there from the pulpit. And uh, so um, the, the series is called Returning Powerful. And it, I want to do a bit of analysis on 2020 and how we can return powerful. It's based on Jesus returning for the temptation in the wilderness. It says, the Message Bible says he returned powerful. So uh, we're going to get into that today. But part of what I want to do is I want to really honor the, 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 the special people on the teams that, that kept us rolling through 2020. And next week, I want to do that. So I want you to be here next week. And if you're on one of those teams, the hospitality team, worship team, tech team, back of the house, they actually called that the front of the house. But I, I insist that I'm at the front of the house. But whatever. Uh, as those that run the back of the house uh, were just rock stars in 2020. And, 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 and you know, BCC kids. Brandy Gaudet and the kids ministry for and our community group leaders. So I want to we just want to honor them next week and give them a shout out next week and let everybody know how much we appreciate uh, the rock stars who kept us together in 2020. And uh, part of the reason you're here today is because they they really did their job and went beyond the call of duty. So let's get into the word. Yeah. Amen. So let's get, into, let's get into this today, and the first message is, I'm using the word return rather than the word recover, because everybody doesn't need to recover. Some people were traumatized, some were not. But I'm talking about, so I'm using the word return. 
And today, the first message is returning from social isolation. As BCC moves out of 2020 and into the new normal of 2021 and 2022, I think it would be wise to debrief a bit and revisit our non-negotiable core values. Hebrews 1, 12, 30, 12, 20 rather, says, prophetically predicts, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So let's start with what may have happened to us spiritually, socially, and psychologically by our various levels of social isolation and how we may need to decontaminate ourselves. Um, there are a lot of biblical examples, by the way, of divinely ordained quarantines. In fact, the word quarantine uh, comes from quarant- uh, a Venetian term, quarantino, which means 40 days. Uh, it was first used during the Black Plague epidemic in the 14th and 15th century to designate a period that ships were required to stay on board before they could disembark when they came into a port of call. Jesus was socially isolated for 40 days. Noah and the ark we're going to read about in a minute, they were, it rained for 40 days and nights. They were isolated about 377 days. Um, uh, of course, the, the word quarantine no longer carries with it the idea of 40. There, there are many other biblical examples of social isolation that were either more or less 40 days. If you touched a, if you touched a dead body in the Old Testament, you were, had to quarantine for uh, 24 hours before you could uh, have any uh, contact with other people. And, of course, there's, the example of, there's a whole lot of examples of hygiene, hygiene-related quarantines in the Old Testament. And, of course, Elijah... Uh, socially isolated because King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were in pursuit of him because they wanted to silence his prophetic voice. And listen to the psalmist David. The psalmist David, one of his laments when he was socially distanced from family, friends, while he was running for his life from Saul, and he uh, ended up in the cave of Adullam. And uh, notice the last sentence when he imagines life out of quarantine. I want you to hear all I'm going to read And I want you to really pay attention to the last sentence. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Did any of you ever feel this much despair when you were locked in your house a few weeks ago, months ago? Uh, Whenever I go, wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one would help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to God. I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. Notice notice what he said. He's looking forward to being out of quarantine. The godly will crowd around to me. I'm going to go back to church, and the godly will crowd around me. That's what he was saying. Now, Noah and his family, let's talk about them this morning. They were on the ark for 377 days, something like that. And depends how you add everything up. Noah, his wife, their, their, their sons and their wives, all total eight people. Uh, three sons, their, all their wives. There were eight people on the ark with all the animals. Um, uh, Chuck Colson famously said, if you, the, the church is like the ark. If you can't stand this, 
if it weren't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the stink on the inside. Uh, for most of us, our quarantine wasn't ex as extreme as Noah's because it was complete isolation, complete social isolation. Talk about social distancing. He was, they were completely socially distanced. But three things happen when they return. Noah, number one, returned to the power of worship and gratitude. I feel that in this place, by the way. I feel that in these services. I feel your worship and your gratitude, and it's amazing. It's outstanding. Number two, Noah returned to the mission of building community and building and multiplying relationships. And number three, Noah returned without discernible emotional baggage. And I think when we go through this, I think you'll see that was more of a miracle and more uh, of a big deal than we might first of all imagine. Let's read it. It's kind of, kind of a, several verses, so it's a little more than I like to normally read, but I just feel like I need to read all of this. And, 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 and even, though you, even though probably of all the stories in the Bible, you, you probably are more familiar with this story than many, any other story. I think everybody knows about Noah and the ark. But I think there are things in this text that I want you to listen to. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. <clears throat> the lockdown is about to be over. The underground waters stopped flowing, and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped, so the floodwaters gradually receded from, from the sky, uh, from the earth, I mean. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, uh, other mountain peaks became visible. After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it, and it could find dry ground, but the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hands and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf on its beak. Then Noah knew the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time he did not come back. Noah, Noah was now 601 years old. On that first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the waters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Now, you think, you think, you think this quarantine's kind of slow and getting over with? <laughs> you should have been Noah. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, and you and your wife and your sons and their wives, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and, uh, and, and, and the wild small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives left the boat and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things as long as the earth remains. There will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Uh, the other day we were uh, 
having our annual sermon uh, planning retreat and uh, with a part of our pastoral team and we're sitting down, we're talking, we get a video from my daughter-in-law, Marilyn, of uh, little uh, Ellie I had just uh, heard one of these news flashes uh, on, the, on, on, on uh, Marilyn's phone that said, um, that said, warning, flash floods. You know, you know that thing that you get on your phone sometimes? And Ellie heard it and started to scream and said, God said he wouldn't let this happen again. <laughs> so there, there is a downside to teaching your children Bible stories. But let's talk about Noah. Like a lot of us, we've just been through, every, almost everybody tells me this is the most difficult year of my life. This is the most difficult year of our lives. Uh, we went through things that uh, we had never been through before as people, as a country, as a church. We'd never been through, never tried to have church without, uh, uh, remotely. Uh, uh, trying to get our lives and Many of you, uh, many of you working for, uh, work from home and are still working from home. Uh, just a whole brand new experience. But God has called, you know, it, it, God never calls us or allows us to isolate forever. He always calls us back to build relationships. He always calls us back to worship, not only worship, but to worship together. And Because there's something powerful about worshiping together. There's something powerful about being together with God's people. There's something that's, that, that, that no screen will replace that. And I know, I, know I, had, I had friends who were very concerned, pastor friends who were very concerned that anybody would want to come back to live services, that they might just want to stay home and watch uh, virtual church. And, and I told them from the beginning, I said, guys, that's not going to happen. The, the, God has created us for fellowship. God has created us for contact. God has created us to, to need, a, need the shake of the hand and the, and the hug around the neck. And God has created us to breathe each other's breath and to be in each other's lives and, and, and to have physical contact. We will never be satisfied to watch, just watch screens as a part of our worship. And uh, th that's turning out to be true. And uh, though I know some aren't returning to church, but we'll get into that maybe later. So let's look at what Noah did. Let's use him as an example of how to return powerfully. Because I believe God wants us to return powerfully. And I'm, I'm extremely excited about what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing at Bethany Community Church in particular and some other churches as well. But I'm only here, so I'm very excited about what I see and what I feel and the intensity that I feel that the, that the lockdown, as, as it was, and maybe it wasn't a total lockdown, total quarantine, but as it was, what it, what it brought to us. So the first thing I see that Noah did is Noah returned to the power of worship and gratitude. Verse 8, verse 20 of chapter 8 says, Then Noah built an ark, an altar rather, to the Lord. Uh, Romans 8 says, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Sometimes we look at the story of Noah and we have sort of a fairy tale, whimsical version of Noah and the ark. You know, like there was a magic carpet ride. And it was just so delightful being on the ark with all the animals and all the water coming down. And that they just were kind of every day 
Uh, isn't it great to be us? It sure stinks to be those other people. <laughs> you know, but isn't it great to see, you know, the rain's coming down. We're, we're all good. We're wonderful. You know, kind of we, we, we see it as like a party ship, you know. <laughs> but, but that could not be true. Because Noah, uh, you, you will see him, a lot of people say that Noah preached for 120 years. There's no place that proves that he preached for 120 years. But, but there, is, um, there is tons of evidence that Noah preached righteousness. Uh, 2 Peter 2.5 says, Noah war- warned the world of God's righteous judgment. And from all indications, he preached for at least 100 years. For at least 100 years, he warned of God's judgment. We have this, this confirmed by the historian Josephus. The historian Josephus, who was not a Christian, not a Christ follower, but he confirms that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And we have also, we read about in the, in the Jewish Talmud and the Jewish Midrash, the Jewish Midrash, which is, which is historical accounts of early Judaism. And we also hear from the, the church historian Clement, who also writes about Noah being a preacher of righteousness. Let me tell you something, guys. This Bible that you have in your device or in your hand is an amazing book. I'm telling you, there is no, there is no other book in the world that has as much verification and much, much credibility as this book called the Bible. You, you need to take the Bible very seriously because this is some incredible book that God has given the church, man. It's something else. I am, I am more impressed all the time. And when I'm researching for this message, I'm finding out how much verification that there was a guy named Noah and he preached righteousness. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty darn impressive, let me tell you. And uh, uh, so anyway, my point is, I think Noah was traumatized. I think hearing the screams of people after he had preached to them for 100 years and he saw the entire population, buildings, infrastructure, everything wiped out. I believe those were his his friends out there. I believe those were people he loved and he cared about. I know I have those people in my life that really care about. I know they're not right with God, but I really love them and I really like them. I don't just love them, I like them enjoy them, but their hearts aren't right with God, and I worry about them. I, I don't have all the answers about coming judgment. I don't understand it. I don't know. Some of it, you want to say it's metaphorical? Well, I don't want to live in a bad metaphor. <laughs> you say, hell is just a metaphor. Well, I don't want to live in a hell, a metaphoric hell. <laughs> you know? It had to be a season of mourning because there were people they loved who didn't get on the boat. And, and of course, they were trapped with their family for 377 days. <laughs> Some of you know what that's like, man. Man, Sherry and I need to, we need a, we need a little space sometimes. <laughs> Even my kids that I enjoy so much. Now, now, the grandkids, I don't think I ever get tired of them. They, I, I, I don't... I haven't had a moment when I've ever been tired of them. We just give them some more candy and they're happy. <laughs> they were trapped in this vehicle, 450 feet by, by 70 by 45, 377 days. I don't think it was a party. I think it was rough. I think it was hard. 
What did Noah do? This, this blows my mind. The first thing he does, he builds an altar. An altar is a symbol that we're choosing gratitude over complaint. An, a, a, an altar is a symbol of gratitude. Noah had many complaints and potential controversies with God, but he chose an altar. An altar is a symbol that we're choosing repentance over resentment. Noah could have could have thought about God. Why are you letting this happen? Why are you doing this to the world? He he could have thought about what could I have done better? Could I have preached harder? He he, he might have thought about you, you know I, I I almost had him I almost had him convinced I almost had my neighbors convinced to get on the boat and then there was that day I lost my temper and my wife in front of them. And it blew my witness. <laughs> you know? but, but Noah chose repentance over resentment. Because that altar was a place where whatever he did, whatever he did to contribute to the problems of the world, he was giving them to God. That's a powerful thing for you to do. That whatever you've done, we need to restore the altar back to the church. We need to restore the altar back. Some of you remember when we used to have altars. So, so I, I remember when you wouldn't have a church, you didn't have altars. You, know, you, wouldn't have, you, you, you might not have a stage, but you have altars. <laughs> the people went, you're looking at me like, what's he talking about? Well, it's, it was a place where people went and repented of their sins. An altar is a symbol that we're choosing God over self. We're choosing God over all else. Uh, Noah, Noah could... Uh, could have built something to himself. But the altar is that place where God, you're saying, God, you're our rock. The altar is that place where you and I can always start over again. We used to sing this song that went like this. When a lifetime of living is gone in a single day and the oceans of misfortune have washed your dreams away, on the shores of memories empty-handed you stand when you've got nothing left but God. You've got enough to start over again. That's what Noah was facing. He had nothing left but God. God being your center of gravity means that in your hierarchy of values, He is at the top. God and Jesus remain your true north. You know, there's a difference. You know there's a difference, and I know you know this, but maybe you haven't thought of it lately. There's a difference between there's a difference between magnetic north and true north. Because the world is always moving. So magnetic north, magnetic north will change. But true north never changes. True north is in this, always in the same place in, in the world, in, in, in the glo- around in the globe. The true north is always the same. And... You, in your life, you have a magnetic north and you have a true north. The magnetic north is your emotions. And sometimes it's right, but then it gets off. But God is our true north. Noah's courage and innovation and and integrity could have easily led him to replace God with himself. Think about this for a minute. Think about the temptation for Noah to build a museum instead of an altar. A monument. To look what I built. I built the ark. 
I, it was my hands. I did the work. God didn't do it. I did it. I had to work hard to build that ark. God, never, God didn't hammer one nail or cut one log. I did it all. We're not going to build an altar. We're going to build a museum to what I did and how, how great I was and how incredible I was. But Noah did not build a monument to himself, but he built an altar to God. He chose humility over pride. You know, we, we, we have chosen science to be an ally in overthrowing God when God gave us science. God gave us science. God gave Noah the blueprint for the ark. God gave him the inspiration for the ark. God gave him the energy to build the ark. God gave him the creativity. And Noah understood that, so he built an ark to give all the praise to God. This is, this is an incredible insight. May we return to the power of the altar. Secondly, like Noah... May we return to the mission of building community and multiplying relationships. Genesis 9.1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I, was, I would say, God, if I were 601 years old and I had preached for 100 years and I had uh, built an ark and saved my family, I would say, God, I'm retiring. <laughs> hey, you know what retire means. It means to put new tires on the old chassis. Right? One thing that characterized every biblical, every biblical and healthy return, and I, I tried to read every single place where people were socially isolated and then they were released from social isolation. In every single place that I read, they went and built community and multiplied relationships after they were, came out of isolation. King David did it when he, left, when he left the cave and he went and was celebrated as the king of Israel. The day of Pentecost, that was 50 days of isolation by the, the, the disciples running afraid that they were going to be the next to be crucified. And what did, do, what did they do? God brought, them to the, God brought them to the upper room and he said, build my church. Let's build this church. And they became a great community and they multiplied to 3,000 people the first day. That's what God has for the church of Jesus Christ right now. Amen? Amen. Luke, Luke 4, of course, is Jesus that I told you about. Listen what, listen what happened to Jesus after 40 days. Now, I know he was only in social isolation and socially distancing for 40 days, but he didn't eat for 40 days. And I figured, I figured 40 days of not eating is like a year of isolation with eating, getting to eat. And, and some of you, uh, I noticed, did took nourishment during the lockdown. <laughs> I'm sure you saw some of those memes, right? Some of those funny memes of people, day one of the lockdown, day 40, you know. <laughs> by, the, by day 120, they wouldn't fit in the picture anymore. <laughs> Luke 4, 14, Jesus returned to Galilee powerful in the spirit. News that he was back spread throughout the countryside. He taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. He came to Nazareth where he'd been reared and as always did on the Sabbath he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written God's spirit is on me. He sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the burden and battered free. You know, we won't know the full impact of social distancing and social isolation for a while. But studies have shown that people who feel lonely are twice as likely to develop a type of uh, 
dementia that's related to Alzheimer's disease. We don't know uh, that... Uh, we don't know exactly how much drug and alcohol use went up, but we know it went up. 55% reported an increase, an increase in alcohol consumption during the lockdown, with 18% reporting a significant increase. 30% recorded, reported an increase in illicit drug use. And in the states hardest hit by the coronavirus, which are New, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, 67% reported an increase in their alcohol consumption, with 25% reporting a significant increase. And, and when people ask why we, uh, why, we, why we learned anything according to one survey, or, or why people, di why people did, did uh, I meant to say, where people use more alcohol, more, more illicit drugs, if 53% said they were trying to cope with stress, 39% were trying to relieve boredom, 32% said they were trying to cope with the mental health symptoms such as anxiety and depression. My point is uh, the isolation was bad for us emotionally. One wife who divorced her husband, and, 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 and divorces didn't go up, but we believe that's only because the courts were closed. <laughs> Seriously, seriously. Uh, one wife who divorced her husband coming out of 2020 said, for the most part, she said, I think I'm going to put this on, I think this is going up there, maybe not. For the most part, she said, uh, it was 12 beautiful years together, but the pandemic spared nothing. It came to ex expose that in a 24-hour relationship with two children and one home office, a lot of things were not matching anymore. There were those moments of anger and disagreement, of using the situation against each other. I felt that she adds the issues of wearing masks, coming back to the house, taking clothes off, and taking a shower. I took it all very seriously. His view was different. I think it's funny now, but we were really furious all the time. We started to fight about things, futile, unimportant things. Imagine that. I know a social worker in Milford told a friend of mine that in Milford, uh, domestic violence was way up during the pandemic and during the lockdown. And then the state of the church. I don't know any church now that as we come back is not missing people. Some churches, 50, 60, 70% of their people aren't coming back to church. And so the report card on the church isn't great coming out of COVID. And many, many pastors, almost every pastor I talk to is saying, I guess we weren't discipling people as well as we thought. So there's a lot of questioning, a lot of things about that that we need to talk about, perhaps. But let me tell you something. This is a time. We, unless they're watching via live stream, we can't worry about who's not here. This is a time for us to hyper-focus on being a loving, caring, sharing, authentic community like never before. Amen? We have an opportunity. Everybody may not be coming back for healing, but for every one of you that are here and you're back for healing and restoration, we have an obligation to be your church family, and that is exactly what we plan to do. Amen. Finally, like Noah, we must return without emotional baggage. This is easier said than done. 
One thing that's crystal clear in the scripture is we are not to come out of highly stressful, traumatic events and just pretend that nothing happened. Lament is a highly valued exercise of faith in the scripture. I don't think you heard me. Lament, like David lamented when he was in isolation. Lament is a highly valued expression of faith in Scripture. And I know some of you are going through very difficult things today, and you think that God just wants to hear you talk positive to Him. But the Scripture is filled. One-third of the Psalms are laments. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. And I've started to advise people who are in situations that are intractable. And I've started to advise people who are in situations where they need an answer to prayer that they're not getting. I'm starting to more and more advise them to begin to pray the prayer of lament. And I know there's a hyper-faith movement that, that, that has come through the church that says you must not do that. But, it's, it, but I choose to be biblical rather than to follow some fad. I choose to be biblical. And biblical prayer was often a prayer of despair. Read, read what David said a while ago. When you start being honest with God and a God who loves you, I believe it opens up insights into God. I believe it opens up your relationship with God to a new level. And so uh, we lost people, you know, even people here. Uh, Janet Sullivan lost her husband. Shane Sullivan lost his dad. I don't know, Mike Seaver. Mike, are you here today? Mike, Mike's, Mike dropped, I, I, I didn't ask him if I could share this. I hope you don't mind, Mike. But Mike dropped his sister off at the hospital and, wasn't able to see her again. This was tough, man. This was tough. Uh, um, Lenny DeLoya lost his mom to COVID. And I believe it was a cousin, I think, as well, that passed away through COVID. This, this was no joke, man. This was real. And uh, we, need to, we need to pause and lament. And we need to, we need to let people mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. We need to stop and let people mourn for what happened to them. And there are people, I I don't know anyone personally in this congregation who lost their business during COVID, but I know there were people who did. There were people who prospered and made a ton of money in COVID, but there were people whose lives went the other way. And so let's, let's pause and be real about what happened. That's crystal clear. And let's... I, here's what I believe, and I, uh, we don't know everything that Noah talked about at that altar, but I believe he unburdened his soul. I believe, he, I believe he poured out his emotional baggage on that altar. Maybe he had to unload guilt at the altar. Like I said, maybe there are things about his hundred years of preaching that weren't, I will promise you it wasn't perfect because he was a human being. He was a human being. I'll promise you that sometimes his life wasn't as consistent as it should have been. Maybe it was resentment that he left at that altar. You know, there's a boatload of these reasons to come out of 2020 a bit angry and a bit resentful. People that aren't speaking to you anymore. And, and maybe it wasn't COVID, but maybe it was the politics. 
Maybe it was all that turmoil, the people that you aren't friends with, you aren't friends with anymore. People, you know, um, I had, uh, I don't know, is Bob Marcunas here? Bob, are you here? Bob, you're back there. Do you mind me sharing something about that, Bob? I'm okay? Uh, um, uh, I, uh, Bob's wife, Bonnie, was in hospice, and I won't say where, but he was in, she was in a hospice center. And one morning I called, and I said, I, I want to come and see her. And the girl on the other end of the line said, well, you have to make an appointment. And I said, that's fine. I, I thought it was 9.30 in the morning. I thought she meant maybe 3.30 in the afternoon. And it was like the 7th, it was May, wasn't it, Bob? Yeah, it was 7th of May. And she said, well, you can come on the 12th of May. I said, what? Five days? Someone's in hospice? Yeah, that's COVID regulations. I'm, well, if I'm a pastor, well, that doesn't matter. And uh, uh, we had a really bad phone connection, so I couldn't really, I couldn't really do the, I want to talk to your supervisor thing, you know, because we had such a bad connection. I just, I called Bob, let him know, and uh, I believe he called. And Bonnie passed away in a couple of hours. And, man, I was ripping. I was so angry. I, I, wrote, I wrote them a hot letter. <laughs> you know, and, and I actually got a call from the director apologizing, and she said that wasn't their policy, the girl to death. So people were so freaked out during COVID. I mean, trying to visit hospitals was a nightmare because hospitals, by and large, did not consider pastors a part of the healing team. And uh, it, it, I, I've, I've, believe me, I've fussed about it. I've been, I've, I've written my senator and fussed about it. Uh, and, and who knows what, what will happen in the future. And I understand, those of you in the medical profession, I understand your job is very difficult, and it was incredibly difficult during COVID. What I'm talking about, I don't want to carry any emotional baggage into, into 2021. What I'm talking, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you and nurses that do a great job. And all. I'm talking about me. I'm, I've got to leave that at the altar. I've got to leave that. I've got to take that to the altar. Maybe you have something to leave at the altar. I think one of the big ones is fear, though. I believe Noah had to unload fear at the altar because he had just been through a traumatic, violent experience in so many ways. The culture that he lived in was violent. This was, this was a violent judgment of God in I believe God wants us to live without fear. For many people, COVID-19 burst our bubble of safety. We imagine modern science had protected us from anything like that. And while it's true life is precious and we should live wisely, we cannot afford to become emotional and psychological cripples just because we might die. Guess what? We found out that being around people can be hazardous to your health. That's what we learn. But you will not live the life of joy, peace, and more importantly, purpose if you just go around trying not to die. You've got to leave that on the altar. Listen to one thing. You say, I don't understand why people are so uptight. They're so anxious. I don't understand why we're not more anxious because we're all going to die. I don't know why we're not all on drugs. <laughs> Imagine the tension. We all know we're going to die. I was walking around the other day thinking about being 66. And I think this is near, I'm, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. Gordon McDonald is a, a great pastor, pastor Grace Chapel for many years. You know what he said? He said the most productive 
time of my life is going to be between 70 and 80. And it was. He, he, he resigned the church, but then he, he wrote and he spoke and he shared the wisdom of, life, of a lifetime. Listen, you can't sit around just trying not to die. Do not put that on the altar. If you're just going to live the rest of your life just trying not to die, please put that on the altar because that's not how God designed you to live. God designed you. I don't have time for you to clap. I, I'm already over time. Uh, <laughs> God designed you to live with risk. God designed you to live dangerously. You know, I, I don't know what you think about Jeff Bezos, and I don't know what you think about him going into space last week. Everybody seems to think they have to have an opinion about that. But didn't it, didn't it look like, like they were having fun? <laughs> Was it risky? You bet. Let's have fun again. You cannot, you must not live a life burdened with the care of your mortality because, face it, you are mortal. And you're going to die, but you're going to live again. <laughs> and, and the living again is going to be better than the life that you lived before you died. So get excited about dying. <laughs> Amen? Let me conclude. Jesus taught, if we save our lives, we lose them. The Apostle Paul talked about spending his life. Think about that. Everybody say spending. He didn't talk about saving his life. He talked about spending his life. We know that spending is the opposite of saving. The truth is you can't save your life. There's no hermetically sealed container that will keep you fresh. Trying to live a completely safe life, locked away from the action, won't give you a life. It will make you moldy and mildewy and rusty. You will rust. Sherry and I just moved, and we've been, we've been purging for three years. We've been purging. And you know what we always find out? Stuff that we stored away, we go find it, and it's ruined. It's rusted, it's moldy, it's, it's junk. And we thought we were saving it. <laughs> we were not saving it, we were losing it. <laughs> so you can't do that. We're meant to be used up. Isolation has its utility. And there are periods when in isolation is normal. But it isn't normal to continue to be isolated. It's normal to confront the dragon, get the gold, metaphorically, get the gold and win the girl. That's how you're supposed to live. Jesus gave his life, and in giving his life, he saved the world. Let's all give our lives away and see what we can save. Stand. Oh, wow. That was, let's stand. Now, I, now I'm gone. Do I need a different mic or is it good? Okay. You know, I was thinking um, during this message, I was thinking, you know, God, have I really given you, given the Holy Spirit, just the time in prayer, in even in, some people take this the wrong way, but meditation, and the Bible teaches us about meditation, to just let the Holy Spirit debrief me from whatever 2020 was. And I, I don't know that I have, and I, I wonder about that for us. Have we taken the time to just get before the Lord and say, 
what do you want to teach me from that year? What do you want me to release from that year? What do I need to, to take and, and do differently moving forward that I learned? Because we know it wasn't just the pandemic. In 2020, there was just absolute um, chaos surrounding things that have to do with race and racism and opinions about that. And we've just had so many things. And I, I really believe that God has the opportunity, if we will take a moment and just look to him and say, what am I to learn from that? How am I to be different? How am I to be more like you when I think about these things? How can I be more loving? How can I really see a, a different perspective what someone else is experiencing than what I'm experiencing? And, you know, I, I, I think we have, there's so much that you can, like he said today, there's so many things now that we know more about that we can be afraid of, that we can be just bound up in fear and tension. And even now we are conditioned to, which, which you know, sometimes it can be a good thing to get into the grocery store and give other people space. I like a little space when I'm shopping, but there's almost a reaction of, other people are scary. And, and we don't, that's not God's best for us. That's not God's best for us. We need to look at other people as the blessing and as the, the creation of God that they really are. So across this room, let's bow our heads. God, we look to you today. We look to your Holy Spirit to just come and take an account of where we're at mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Are there things in us, God, that don't please you? Are there things that, that were developed in our hearts and our minds throughout 2020, throughout this beginning and half of 2021 that do not please you? Things that are counterproductive to building your kingdom, that are not kingdom-minded. And we just pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would reveal those things to us Lord, if there are things from this past year and a half, God, that, that are just do please you and they've moved us in a direction of compassion, moved us in a direction of thinking about things in your way, God, highlight those things to us. I pray, Lord, that as your kids, as your people, we would just be above the fray, above the fear, above the anxiety, and that we would, we would have, be able to walk in true freedom and confidence that our God is in control of all things. He is still on the throne. And just like Pastor said, we're not going to go through our days just trying not to die. That's not what it's about. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you so much. We love you, and we thank you that you gave us each other, and you've designed us to live together. In Jesus' name, amen.